Good morning, everyone. Uh, for those who don't know me, uh, my name is Maddie, and I get to be one of the pastors here at Epiphany Station. And we're going to jump into week two of my teaching series, Make Christmas Count, in just a minute. But there's a couple of things I want to let you know that might make you feel more welcome with us, especially if you are new to Epiphany. Um, the first is that we don't pass any kind of plate here during our worship experience, take any sort of offering tithe or gift or anything like that. What we want to try and do is promote self-motivated, God-motivated giving. And so if this is your church home, this is your church family, and you want to do that here, you can do. Uh, we have three ways of giving. There's red boxes spread throughout the facility. You can drop anything in. There's a tablet in the back corner of this room. We can put card details into it. And you can always give online at epiphanystation.com slash give. The second thing I want to let you know about, it's kind of pertinent to this morning specifically, is uh, if you want to communicate anything to us, or if you ever want us to be able to communicate kind of what's going on in the life of the church to you, then it's impossible for us to do that unless we have a contact detail from you. So like this morning, we canceled the 9 a.m. worship experience to keep everyone as safe as possible and give the graders time to clear the roads. So we sent out a mass email to let everyone know who we could. But if we don't have that ability to communicate with you and you'd like us to, uh, one of our connection cards, specifically the blue one, can be found at the welcome station. It's an easy way for you to just update information, contact detail, so we can communicate things with you. The rest of our connection cards, the yellow, the red, the green, they're there to use if you want to communicate anything else to us. Now, like I said, we're in week two, week two of our conversation for Make Christmas Count, and what we're doing is trying to understand what actually does make Christmas count. What makes it matter? What makes it different? So we kicked it off last week talking about what should be the focus point, the focal point of Christmas, which is Jesus. Today we're going to have a conversation about how glory, specifically God's glory, comes to play on how we understand who he is and what Christmas is supposed to mean. Then we'll talk about how Christmas is really built on a foundation of reconciliation and humility. And then finally, capping it all off, talking about how when we make Christmas truly count, it counts when we make people count, and when we make Christmas about people. Now, the whole point of the series is to try and help us understand how this Christmas can mean more than it's ever meant before, and how it can make us live our lives differently and love people and love God better and better and better. To do that, we're walking through two narratives or two parts of the biblical narrative of the Christian story from two groups of people who are kind of diametrically different from all of their origins to all of their purposes, but they help us understand, their involvement in the story helps us understand what God is trying to communicate. We're talking about shepherds on a hill, and we're talking about wise guys on camels. Because there's something about these two groups that show us the uniqueness of the Christmas story and show us why it's so different, and quite frankly, why it is so glorious, why it matters so much to us. So kicking off with the kings, or the wise men. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, if you want to open your Bible, otherwise, don't worry, text will be on the screen behind me. But if you don't have a Bible, or you don't have one that you understand, we have a bunch on the welcome station for you to grab. Please take one as a free gift with us today. But starting off, in Matthew chapter 2, we see the involvement of these, these kings. It says that Jesus was born in, the, uh, in Bethlehem. Yeah, that's the place. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. 
He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Now, the wise men or the the kings or the magi, whatever you want to call them, they are brought onto the scene, they're brought to Jerusalem, and then they're sent to Bethlehem, all based on this idea of prophecy. Now, prophecy is something that is spoken about, it's delivered from God through a person, sometimes about something that's going to happen in the future. And there was a bunch of these prophecies made about what was going to happen that Christmas, that first Christmas. Now, a lot of them are found in the Old Testament, the old half of the Bible. And these prophecies were shared, apparently not just over days, weeks, months, but over centuries. So much so that it wasn't just local people that knew them, but people from the other side of the known world knew them. And they'd been communicated verbally across the world with such a matter of importance to them that people took them seriously. And people waited expectantly for them. So much so that these wise men were looking at the stars, waiting for this prophecy to be fulfilled. Because it was so unique, because it was so different, because it was so glorious, because for the first time ever, God had promised to come and be with his people, to live with his people, to walk with his people. Now that's just how the wise men get involved. And really, their story and all that prophecy, that's preamble. That's, that's prediction, that's a preface to what's actually going to happen at Christmas. Because what comes next really sparks things into motion. What comes next is the the glorious nature of Mary and how she gets pregnant. You see Mary as she's talking about this and understanding this and we kind of understand how old Jesus was born. And in Matthew chapter 1 verse 22, it says that all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. I want us to just stop and just sit in that for a minute. A virgin pregnancy and a virgin birth. That is how God decided for Jesus to enter the earth, on a blank canvas, through the untouched reproductive system of this blessed young woman. God decided to bring Jesus to the face of the earth in a way that had never been done and would never be seen again. So as to highlight the uniqueness, the otherliness of this event. And then third, you look at the first announcement of Jesus' coming to the general populace, kind of outside of Mary and Joseph and their immediate family. And this is where you find some random, di- random dudes sitting on a hill doing the night shift, hoping just not to lose one of their sheep. They're sitting in the countryside in the darkness with a small glow from a local town, but that's it. And then all of a sudden, there's a bright light in front of them, and they see an angel. And the angel tries to console them, and the angel says, don't be afraid. I will bring, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, The Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you'll recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. 
Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now, I don't know if we'll ever be able to fully comprehend this and wrap our heads around this, but let's try just for a moment to get a glimpse of sitting in almost perfect darkness with only stars, maybe moon, one star brighter than the rest, and then just that small glow from a local village, and then all of a sudden, the brightest light you can imagine in the sky, and it's no longer quiet. And in a moment from being told this glorious news, the sky is filled with a multitude with millions, with all of the vast host of heaven's armies filling the sky from horizon to horizon with worship music. Now you think we crank the decibels a bit high here. I want you to try and imagine the loudest yet most serene, the most traditional and the most reverent yet the most passionate and ornate worship ever. And that's what these guys get hit with out of nowhere. That's what makes them leave their flock. That's what makes them go in to Bethlehem. And this, these three things, just these three things alone are some of the ways that God tries to communicate what's going to happen when Jesus comes to the earth. He has a pre-show of prophecy. He has a kickoff with a miracle of virgin birth. And then he has the first announcement with the sky filled with radiant, joyful, worshipful angels. That is the glorious nature of how God wanted to present his baby boy to the world. Now, I think we bandy around that word glory a little bit too easy, a little bit too freely. But even if you just go to the definition of what glory is, glory is denoting something that is great. It is majestic. It is delightful, almost magical. It is wonderful. It is brilliantly beautiful, and it is splendid to behold. That's glory. And all throughout the Christmas story, we find these moments of God displaying his glory. But it's all with intentionality. It's all with purpose. Never it is for God to prove himself, but more is his display of glory about those receiving it than the one showing it. God's glory through the Christmas story or throughout all of mankind or even in your own life is for you. It's for you to see it and to receive it and to understand. Every single moment in the Christmas story is intentionally drafted out, purposefully driven home so that we could see that God is the one, the only one worth our worship, the only one really worth all of our love because through Christmas he decides to love us. Now, you'll be in here and there's a bunch of us that that don't actually believe this kind of jazz and it all seems a little bit far-fetched. For you, Christmas was made. Christmas was made for you. It was made to challenge you. It was made to challenge you with an absurd encounter full of prophecy and miracles and stars and angels. So it would challenge you to the point of having to wrestle with it. If it was supposed to be just believed wholeheartedly and blandly by everyone, it would have probably made it more believable. But it wasn't supposed to be. It was supposed to be unique and different to the point that it rocks your very logic to the core. For those of us who maybe place a little bit of stock in this whole Christmas thing and and a little bit of faith in Jesus, Christmas was made for you. 
It was made to take what we've made, an inoculated version of Christmas, and smash it to pieces. The Christmas story was made in all of its beauty and its glory and its power to remind us that Christmas isn't just another day. The Christmas wasn't just another day. That that was the moment when God defined all of your purpose, all of your worth, and your destiny. And then for those of us who are in here, we call ourselves self-denoted. No one made us do it. We call ourselves devoted followers of Jesus. Christmas was made for us. It was made so that we would focus again on the King of Kings. It was made so that we would remember through the glory of God on display who it is we actually believe in. And what it is that we actually worship that is the Lord Jesus, our King, our Lord. And that now... As his church, we get to be here to represent him to the world. No matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, Christmas is never done with you. And you are never done with Christmas. We've never talked about it enough. We've not learned enough. We've not understood enough to be able to put it to bed. Because Christmas and the glory of God shown through the Christmas story is supposed to get into the very core of who we are. And show us who we're born to be. That's how we make Christmas count, when we start to view Christmas differently, to view it how it originally was. And that's the biggest challenge for us, I believe. I think the biggest challenge when you live on this earth and you have Christmas year after year after year, it is to continue to make it count every year and to not allow it to grow into stagnancy or just another thing that your family kind of does. And so I have a challenge for you, depending on kind of what you believe about Christmas. If you don't believe anything about it, you don't believe about Jesus, you don't believe what I'm saying to you, then my challenge for you is this, to ask yourself, why not? To let the Christmas story challenge you on your beliefs. Because the only thing that I can tell you is what if it's right? What if all the things that you've been looking for, that you've been craving, that you've been desiring, what if the things about your marriage, about your money, about your work, what about all the things are going to be found in the place that you've already said you're not going to believe in? It is the greatest challenge for someone who doesn't believe in it to ask themselves why they don't believe in it. And so it's a very practical challenge for those of us who don't. I want to ask you to do something quite gutsy. No, very gutsy. I want you to be willing to invite us, or one of us, one of our church leadership, or just from of the church, to have a conversation with you about why we believe in Christmas, and why we believe in Jesus. If you're in that camp where you're not believing, but you're here for a good reason, then I want you to grab one of our connection cards and simply jot a name, a contact detail down, and you can put, I want to talk, you can put, I don't know what you're talking about, it's all nonsense, I didn't understand a word, the accent, it's just not working for me. Whatever you want to write, we would love nothing more than to talk to you about what we believe about Jesus. And it would be a gift to us if we had that opportunity with any one of you. Now the challenge for those of us who do believe, who say we believe, for Christians, I believe the challenge of making Christmas count is a notch or a ratchet higher than maybe what we've entertained in the past. Because there's something about Christmas that should remind us of the very thing that we carry all through the year, all through our days, weeks, months, years, and decades, because we carry something with us as believers in this that is of vital importance to the glory of God. 
In Jesus' own words, he said this to those who believe. He said this to the church. He said, you, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world as Jesus' followers and believers. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. They put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. God's glory is intention of using it, displaying his character and his nature, is so that we would see it, believe it, and then that we would actually be part of it. The church is still God's plan A for bringing glory to himself. For all the church's screw-ups, for all its messiness, for all of its ugliness, it's still what he wants to use to show people who he is. And he wants to use us so that we can show the rest of the world who he is. That's why we're made different. It's why when we become Christians, we kind of become peculiar. We become a little bit weird because we're actually supposed to be spectacular. We're supposed to be good, like the goodest of the good. And so to do that, we have to break ourselves out of the habit of viewing these things like Christmas as just any old thing and treating it like a natural event, treating it like any other holiday. Because here's the thing about Christmas. How you treat it is how other people will grow to view it. If you show your kids that Christmas is about presents and food, they will believe it's about presents and food. If you show your family that Christmas is about family, they'll believe it's about family. If you show the world that Christmas doesn't matter that much to you, they will comfortably accept it doesn't matter that much to them. To truly make Christmas count in our church family, in your home, in the world we live in, we have to drag back in the glorious nature of Christmas, the wonder and the awe and the prophecies and the miracles and the angels and the stars and the virgin birth because all of that is essential. All of that helps us understand the nature of it and the nature of our God and it demands worship. It demands reference and it demands love because Christmas, Christmas was when God sent his son to prove his love for you to prove his love for the world in which we live. And that's what people need at Christmas. That's how we'll make it count. Now, every year at Epiphany, uh, we do something very different at Christmas time. It's called My Christmas Epiphany. Kind of connects the names there. It's clever. Uh, if you've been here longer than a year, uh, you'll probably know what I'm talking about. But My Christmas Epiphany is kind of like an endeavor. It's an initiative. It's something that we want to do to make a difference happen at Christmas, to kind of break us out of the mold, shake ourselves loose, and do something to change something. So over the last eight years, we actually set a lot of financial goals to do some good. 
We have been able to give water access to a village in the country of Haiti. We supported our local violence intervention project. Uh, we were able to send money to an organization that fights sex trafficking in Cambodia. We were able to support our local food shelf. We have started uh, an adoption fund. We planted a church in another city. We paid down people's heating bills when they couldn't afford it. We created the Love People Fund for people in crisis. And we helped Elevate Youth Center get launched off to a good year. Woohoo indeed. Over eight years, and when I say we, I mean you, you have raised $132,000 and given it away to the glory of God. Yeah. That was a lot of good that went and did a lot of good. And we've done a lot of good over the last eight years through my Christmas epiphany. So that's why this year we wanted to completely reinvent it from the ground up. And do a lot of good. Maybe one could say a lot more good. Because this year, our goal is not going to be a financial goal. Put your money away. Stop writing all those zeros on a check. Calm down. I know you're excited. This year, the, one laugh. This goal, the goal this year is not going to be a financial goal for my Christmas epiphany. It's going to be, I think, actually something of a harder challenge for us all. It's a relational goal. Here is it in its most simple form, a challenge for every single one of you. I challenge you through the month of December to think, to pray, to plan, to invite, to welcome, and to host someone into your home that you've never had in your home before. I want to challenge you to have someone over for dinner, have a family, have a couple, and open your home to them. There's something special that happens when we actually not just give something, but we welcome people in. And so the challenge is for you to think about who you could share your home with, share your table with, share your food with, and share your love with in a way that it would show them what they're worth and how much they're valued. And the challenge to do it for someone new is to get us out of our own little circles, to get us out of our own little cliques, and to make Christmas count by showing love to people who need it. This is a challenge. Some of you would rather give money, I know. This is a challenge because it, it means vulnerability. It, it means laying down relational capital, it's energy, it's time. Yeah, there'll be some money involved because you're paying for dinner. But this is the good work we wanna challenge ourselves to and we're gonna talk about it every single week. And so before you leave here today, I want you to think of a name. I want you to think of the name of a person or the name of a family, or the name of a couple. And kids, don't just let your parents do this. You think of them too. If there's eight people in your family, great. That's eight names you can come up with. You can do one big party, or you can do this eight times over the month of December. But think about how you could express biblical hospitality, Christian fellowship, the actual love that makes the church something different and special. This would be an amazing work for my Christmas epiphany, amazing work for our community, because we live in an independence-obsessed culture, a self-centered society that polarizes people. So as we grow in number, we also grow in loneliness. And so we're going to do something different, because the glory of God was given for your sake. It was given and it was shown so that you would understand your worth, your value, how much you're loved. But it was not given for us to hold on to or to hide away. It was given to us to then share 
That's what the church does now. And we need to never forget where all of the church stuff comes from, where all of our love comes from, where every good thing we've ever done comes from. It's been given to us by God to give to another. And so making Christmas count means living your life differently because of the glory of God. And so go and live your life. Go and live it good. Go and live it selflessly. Go live it imperfectly. Go live it honorably. Go live it messily, but go live it gloriously, the way that the church was supposed to be. As we wrap up our worship experience here, I'm going to have the music team come on up. It's going to give us a chance to sing a song of worship in response. As always, we'll have our prayer team down front during this last song and at the end of the experience. If you need prayer for anything or you want to talk to someone, they would love to do that. They can pray for you with all confidentiality. If you have anything that's kind of been impressed upon you in our conversation today, you want to talk to someone about it like I previously said, or you just want someone to reach out to you, again, grab one of those connection cards and drop it in a box. Let me guys pray for you. Let me pray for you guys. Father God, we thank you that we get to come and worship and help us as we, as we understand what your Christmas story means to us and as we sing and as we leave here and as we go and do life that we'd understand what our worship is. It, is. it is seeking to love you. Help us to understand how to love you by being different, by doing different things. God, give us the courage to step out of our comfort zone and to serve you and to honor you with the days that we have. God, help us to be the church that you envision. Help us to make a difference in the lives of dozens, hundreds of people this Christmas by showing them love. Help us do this in Jesus' name. Amen.